So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Paranormal Stakeout. I'm your host, Larry Lawson, coming to you as always from the Southern Command Post of the Exxon Broadcast Network in beautiful Vero Beach and Felsmere, Florida. And uh, thank all of you for joining us on our continuing journey to discover the answers as to what really is on the other side. And I'm really happy to have on the journey with us tonight the founder and president of the American Paranormal Research Association, Mr. Brandon Alvis. Brandon has always had an interest and questions about the paranormal since tragically losing two brothers, one to cancer, the other to suicide. Starting with a few friends using standard tools and procedures, he realized the many mistakes commonly found when investigating the paranormal. This motivated him to propagate a team specializing in many fields and to develop new methods not only reliable but convincing. Introducing the scientific approach and naming this team the American Paranormal Research Association, also known as OPERA, to uh, find these answers. This new approach, along with his leadership and entrepreneurial skills, has propelled APRA into becoming a highly recognized name in the field. His hard work, dedication, and passion to the science are greatly respected, often allowing OPERA to investigate in areas normally closed off to others. Pioneering fundraisers and special events, he, along with his team, provide participants an insight into the paranormal, wherein proceeds go to the preservation of the historical structure they're investigating. His determination to find cold, hard facts to prove or disprove makes opera what it is today. Brandon Alvis, welcome to Paranormal Stakeout, sir. Thanks, sir. I appreciate you having me on. Well, you're way out there on the other end of the country from me in uh, sunny California. I trust all's well out there. Absolutely. Doing really well out here and uh, just keeping up the research. Uh, and, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm anxious to discuss research and investigation to you. But you, you mentioned the, these tragedies that you had in your life. How did they inspire you to start searching for these answers? Well, in 1995, I lost my oldest brother to cancer, and in 2004, I lost another brother to suicide. So that kind of sent me on my journey, if you will, into the paranormal and trying to document from a scientific point of view uh, the possible existence of a life after death. Uh, Basically, growing up in a cemetery and being around and learning about death from such a young age, it really uh, opened my mind to the possibilities of an ultimate transition. And what happens when we when we die? Do we go on? 
So before I ever went out and tried to investigate or get in the field, I did as much research as possible, uh, picked up as many books as I could from metaphysical to scientific, uh, anything that was ghost or haunting related. And uh, I started to learn, you know, really early on that there was a lot of problems when it came to investigating the paranormal and uh, seeing what such a pseudoscience it is. And uh, that made me, you know, kind of reach out uh, to various professionals from technical industries and uh, having them be of assistance in helping me prove or disprove the data I collected, as well mm -hmm. as uh, maintaining the scientific method. Okay, how old were you when you started on this journey? Oh, I actually, well, you know, actively started doing uh, everything with APRA when I was uh, about 19 years old. Okay, so a APRA was formed when you were 19, right? Correct, yes. Okay, okay. Any formal training, or was it all self-training, things that you did on your own? It was all self-training. Uh, again, you know, I did as much research as I could as far as, you know, uh, book research and historical research. Um, looking back uh, to all of the great researchers that have come before us, uh, going all the way back to the 1800s, Lord Byron, the Ghost, the Ghost Club of London, and looking into everything that's been done, what methods they used, all the way to now. I uh, got into uh, electronic voice phenomena and uh, the American Association of Electronic Voice Phenomena and all the stuff that they did over the years and just kept looking into the various uh, you know, aspects of research until I came to my own conclusions of how I thought things should be conducted. Okay. How should they be conducted? What is your view? You know, I think that, again, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, we are dealing with a field that is definitely pseudoscience. Um, as hard as that is for some people to swallow, it's just the, the basic fact of what's been going on. Uh, I think that there needs to be some form of standard or some form of, uh, uh, you know, ideas in place for paranormal researchers and investigators to look at, to go to and say, hey, this is the way things should be conducted if we're actually trying to document data that would be respected by the scientific community as well as the public. Um, one thing I've done over the years is I've been trying to put together what I refer to as a classification system. You know, as you know, Larry, people, you know, when you go into investigation, 99% of the time, the conclusion is, oh, is it intelligent or is it residual? Um, I think obviously it goes a lot deeper than that. Um, you don't go to a zoo and say, oh, I went and saw a bunch of animals. You know, you go to a zoo and you say, I saw lions, I saw tigers, I saw gorillas, so on and so forth. So one thing I've been trying to do over the years is implement a classification system as to what exactly the phenomena is, what we're dealing with, and how that relates to the history of a location. Okay, and, and all that's good. Sounds like we're kind of on the same page there um, with a law enforcement background myself. Structure and training has always been an a, a important aspect for me in the paranormal. And, and it sounds like you're going down the same line, but, but what are you doing today what what is um tell us a little bit about your team and tell me your standards that you use in your team i'm interested in that well you know i've been lucky enough again to comprise a, a panel of uh, various professionals from technical industries uh one of which is a man named dr harry clore he's the only person in history to receive two phds simultaneously in any discipline and mm -hmm. those were in physics and chemistry uh, he's been an integral part of the organization uh since 2010 and with Harry Clore, we've really, uh, you know, went to it when it came to implementing the scientific method. 
And one thing that we've always done is we've gone in and tried to, one, collect data that can be tested uh, repeatedly and trying to correlate those different, uh, you know, those different aspects of data. But not only that, we go in and we conduct uh, in experiments where Dr. Clore will, you know, come up with a theory of what he thinks going on associated with the phenomena. Uh, try to recreate that through uh, natural means and draw conclusions from that. So again, we go in, we observe, and we report. We document uh, activity as far as what's the natural phenomena, what's something that could be above that, and we collect all that data, we analyze it, and then we draw our conclusion. Give me your definition of the scientific approach. Well, again, I, like I said, observing and reporting is you know going in unbiasedly, uh, collecting that data, and analyzing that data to draw a conclusion. You know, that would be the most basic way I could put that. Uh, observing and reporting, going in, collecting information, sifting through that information, and providing what the conclusion of that information was. Uh, are you familiar with a, um, an experiment done in England that started in the 80s called the um, Skoll Experiments? Uh, it sounds familiar, but off the top of my head, it, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Because that was one of the... Um, it was a kind of a groundbreaking experiment done over a number of years, but one of the biggest criticisms of the Skoll experiment was their like lack of um, of uh, checks and balances, if you will. Uh, right. They 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 collected evidence. Some of it was pretty outstanding, but many of their of their um, critics are saying, "But you did not have the proper uh, protections in place to ensure that the evidence you were collecting was um, was not tainted." How do you do that? How do you get around those types of arguments? Well, as you know, it's it's difficult, especially when, like with our organization, we solely deal with historical locations. So we don't do okay. homework cases in any way, shape, or form. But as you know, there are some big challenges when it comes to these big type of historical properties. You know, a lot of times they could be abandoned or in a state of, uh, you know, a state of disrepair. Uh, what we do is try and, you know, do our best as far as making sure our guidelines and our base readings are done in a proper manner to know exactly what that environmental condition may be and trying to maintain that we you know, have some kind of a baseline that we're associated with our initial readings to make sure that we have a, you know, a grounded approach when it comes to is there anything anomalous that we're collecting um, through our means of data collection from you know, EVP to uh, video recordings, EMF readings, temperature readings, so on and so forth. We just try our best to make sure that not only do we have, you know, a really grounded uh, baseline reading, but we try and make sure that we keep those areas as least contaminated as possible. Okay. Um, you collect your evidence, uh, you, you go back, you analyze it. What do you do with your evidence then? As soon as we analyze it, we come up with something that we think to be anomalous, something that we think is could possibly be paranormal. Then we go and we consult uh, a professional and whatever that may be, say say it's an uh, EVP recording, uh, something we get that we think to be uh, paranormal, electronic voice phenomena. We'll go to an audio engineer and have that broken down through a spectrum analysis and have that looked at and you know have that, that professional tell us, is this something that they can explain through natural means? Is this a stray radio frequency? Is this a stray cell phone frequency? And as you know, with the spectrum analysis, you can break that down frequency by frequency and really have an understanding of what that may be. So depending on the piece of data that we collect to think that it's, you know, could be something paranormal, 
we go to that prof- a professional that has you know expanded knowledge in that aspect of the field and we get their their professional opinion on it okay and and do you keep do you then keep this evidence uh in a safe spot much like an evidence room do you do anything like that with it Sure, everything's kept digitally, so everything's kept on hard drives, and those hard drives have been backed up over the years, and everything's you know labeled properly and put into the proper folder and time stamped and and uh, you know documented as documented appropriately, and hopefully you know the the main goal with all this is to say, okay, say this in one location we documented this anomalous reading, say it was unusual EMF activity that correlated with a specific moon phase that correlated with uh, barometric pressure. The idea would be one day is that we can go back and cross-reference that data to say at another Perfect. location, we have Perfect. I got, I got to cut you short here because we're about ready to go to our first break, but we're going to continue that thought right on the other side of this break. So folks, stay with us. We've got more to come. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. 
Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. back on Paranormal Stakeout with my guest tonight, Mr. Brandon Alvis, president and founder of the American Paranormal Research Association. Do want to mention his website at www.apraparanormal. That's A-P-R-A paranormal.com. Um, Brandon, to kind of get back to where we were heading on, on the conversation before the break, uh, your collection of the evidence and use later. That's I find that to be a very, very important aspect of what you were telling me. What is your, what's your vision of being able to go back and correlate this evidence with other investigations? Yeah, Larry, you know, cross-referencing data is very important in trying to understand, are we dealing with a legitimate phenomena? So hopefully, you know, again, the goal one day is to have this, this, you know, library of data and readings that we can reference in other locations to say, hey, we're dealing with the same type of phenomena. It happened with the same moon phase that happened with the same barometric pressure, humidity, EMF reading, so on and so forth, to understand, hey, these may be the conditions for a haunting. And, you know, to even go further than that is once you have those data, once you have that data and those readings, trying to somehow correlate that with the history of a location to go even deeper as to, okay, are we dealing with a legitimate haunting? What exactly is the identity of that haunting? is it associated with the location's history? And that would lend to what I was talking about earlier is trying to implement a classification system and going further than just the standard, is it intelligent, is it residual? Uh, so that's something that I've been working on for a number of years and and hopefully we'll be able to uh, have enough data one day to implement that to a, to a standardized situation where other investigators can implement it. So you'd be a proponent of other other teams or other investigators having access to your information to compare with what they have. Do I get that correct? Absolutely. I think that would be key. And that's another thing with the field that would be, you know, you know, very beneficial is cross referencing data that way. Well, um, as my listeners know, I've been a huge proponent of this exact plan uh, for a long time and have been pushing, you know, and championing this whole, that whole way of thinking. So I got to ask you a question. Why hasn't it happened? I mean, I've talked to, I've talked to other investigators. I've talked to other teams, um, that have the same thought that we do, but I always get, ah, it'll never happen. So I'm going to ask you why, why is this not hurt? I hope, I hope it happens. Um, one thing at least I can say on behalf of my organization is that our data is always available. Um, if there's a team uh, or investigators that go to a location that documented something uh, that is similar to what we've documented or, or have any questions about the data we collected, ours is always our data is always wide open to anyone that would like to look at it and cross-reference it with their own. Um, as far as why it hasn't happened yet on a, on a large scale with you know uh, multiple organizations, I'm not quite sure. I think a lot of times... Um, teams out there or researchers aren't so much interested in the science of it. I think it's more so something of a personal uh, belief system or a personal journey for themselves that 
I think that the science of it and the sharing of data kind of gets overlooked. Well, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, there are thousands. I mean, in your area alone, I heard a number one time like over 1,300 paranormal teams in your area in California alone. And I might that might even be low. And most of them are what I refer to as mom and pop type of organizations, which are fine. And they're on uh, they're conducting these investigations, these inquiries for personal reasons. And I and I get that. But there's got to be a point where we say, yeah, I mean, we all like the adrenaline thrill. But why are we doing this? What what are we doing this for? What is our purpose? What is our end game? And and that's why. What you're talking about, what I propose, uh, is important because we've got to find it. We've got to find the end game. We've got to find out where this is leading us. But one of the other things I'm seeing is we haven't really progressed a whole lot. You know, we're talking here, and you know, we're we're talking the same game, but nothing is progressing. We've got to push forward. Our equipment has got to improve. Our Absolutely. techniques have got to improve. What do you think we need to do? To get there well first off i think that you know participation from the scientific community would be key um actually having some form of advisors or people that are outside of this field to step in and say hey this is the way things should be conducted properly if you want to be taken seriously um i think that's something that definitely needs to be done bridging that gap between sci science and pseudoscience um Another thing is I know the, t you know, the TV shows are, are what got a lot of people interested and what you know a lot of people base their research off of, but people just need to realize that, in fact, that those are entertainment, you know, those are entertainment shows. They're, they're, for, mm -hmm. you know, they're for the purpose of entertaining people. They're not in the business to uh, scientifically prove the existence of a life after death or anything of that nature. Uh, a lot of times people see something and they, they mock it and they think that it's turning into results. In which a lot of times that's not the case, uh, but again, I think that some participation from the scientific community would be fantastic. Uh, I, I think that anyone that's out there that has a team, just to reach out to professional professionals from technical industries, just to gain, you know, gauge an interest and in, will they take a look at the data you collect? Will they be of some assistance in helping you understand how a certain piece of equipment works or the way you should conduct yourself? And, and all those things are, are vitally important, too. I mean, most teams, they mean well, but they go on, they really don't understand the theory behind which their equipment even works. And and what, there's there's a place for folks that, that want that for entertainment for themselves, for lack of a better term, or going on that personal journey. But if we're going to take this this philosophy, this this field forward, we're going to have to change how we look at it. But I want to I want to ask you something else too. Ego is is a big issue I see with this. What do you mean you're going to tell me how to investigate? But what about what about the scientific community? What about the folks that might say we don't really want to know what the answer is because that might ruin what I'm doing. If you get where I'm coming from. Um, our group, we're our. I'm designed. Our group is designed to find out what the answer is, to go wherever the evidence takes us. But that evidence might not allow the field to go forward and people to make money. Does that make sense? I completely understand that. Yeah, it's you know again, um, there's different reasons for everyone's involvement in this field and why they go about uh, doing things the way they think it should be done. 
but yeah, I think you're you're exactly right in in that fact of, you know, you can go into a place and document something or lack of documentation that can just completely uh, blow one of those legends associated with the location up and uh, and can really change the way people look at things. And and therefore, somebody is maybe not making a profit. I hate to put that into it, but that's a reality, something that I think that we need to look at. And the standardization of our field, the structuring of our field um, and putting standards to investigations, I think, is one of the ways we can help combat that that issue. What say you? Absolutely. I agree with you 100 uh, percent. Standardizing and having, you know, some form of uh some form of, you know, again, standardization, but something that people can look at to say, hey, this is the way things should be conducted, uh, I think would be extremely beneficial and would take a lot of the problems out of the pseudoscience aspect of the field. Where do you see our, our biggest breakthrough coming through in the field? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I think that that would be a really tough thing to, to you know, to guess or gauge because there's so many different types of data collection uh, and so many different types of phenomena that you never know who can be in the right place at the right time and what's going to be collected. Uh, but hopefully, you know, again, one day, you know, we can have, um, you know, enough data to cross reference and between multiple locations to say, Hey, these are the exact, uh, you know, circumstances associated with the activity we're experiencing and what we're documenting. And these are the environmental condi environmental conditions. Right. To say this is something you know supernatural. But I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, where do you see? Like personally, I see the field of uh, instrumental transcommunication being the next possible step, the next possible place for a breakthrough. Right. But right. our our equipment, our techniques are still archaic in so many ways. We got to change that. But do you have a particular opinion where you think that break might come through or where you think our our next possible piece of equipment or techniques going to come through that will help us find the answer? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, with the advancement of technology, there's been so much. I mean, in five years from now, we might have a, a camera that sees on a different frequency that we that we don't have at the moment. So, you know, I, I would hopefully like to see something that you know visually wise where we have a camera that can document other spectrums of light that we currently can't see or currently aren't you know implementing i know there's a lot of military technology out there and different types of uh, technology that associated with military as well as nasa that they have this kind of stuff that's not really readily available to the public but i definitely could see something like that happening where we have some kind of a visual representation of you know, something we don't have right now as far as seeing a spectrum of light or documenting, uh, you know, things that the human eye can't see. And and to get there, we've got to get the scientific community on board. But to get the scientific com community on board, we as a field have got to tighten up our act. We have got to get folks taking this seriously that are working in this field, get those standards set and start producing investigations that can be corroborated between groups. I, I, I feel very, very strongly about that. Um, we're getting ready to go to our next break here in just a second, Brandon, so everybody stay with us. When we get back, Brandon, I want to talk a little bit more about your team and the places that you investigate. Uh, so folks, stay with us. This is Paranormal Stakeout. We'll be back in just a few seconds. Once again, my guest is Brandon Alvis, president and founder of the American Paranormal Research Association. We'll be back in just a few minutes. 
They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzulli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. And we are back on Paranormal Stakeout. My guest, Brandon Alvis, founder and president of American Paranormal Research Association. Um, getting back to what we were talking about, Brandon, and your team and the things that you do, um, do you do you bring in new members very often to your team? No, we, we've kept the organization really small and tight-knit for the fact of, you know, just having people that have, you know, their own specialized area and what we're trying to achieve. Uh, so, no, we don't really open up the organization to membership often. Mm-hmm. Do you do any kind of, um, shall we, like we call it in police work, um, remedial training or uh, continuing education? Do you guys do any of that at all? Or We have over the years, yeah. We've uh, dealt with a lot of organizations and different groups that uh, we've you know somewhat mentored and went out and and help them, uh, you know, show them exactly how we conduct our investigations or uh, go about uh, researching a location. So we've done that over a number of years as well. Good. So you ha- you have an outreach for to different organizations. That's excellent. Um, your group. Tell me a little bit more about him. Dr. Core, very interesting individual. Purdue University, if uh, memory serves, um, is where he got his degrees from. Uh, but what about the rest of your group? How many is in your team? You know, we've got, uh, again, Dr. Harry Clore, myself, uh, Matt, Matt Goldman, uh, J.J. Seacott, and Michael Rudy, uh, all really good friends of mine. I've known, uh, you know, over a decade, and uh, each one of them brings something really great to the organization. you got J.J. Seacott, who we basically refer to as our, our, our gadget guy. He's kind of our, our equipment manager, if you will. He's the guy that kind of gets everything set up and, and you know, is in direct contact with Dr. Clore about how we – are going to go about set up and get things going. Uh, then we got Michael Rudy, who's just virtually a fearless 
fearless guy. He's willing to go anywhere and do anything, and we like to call him our guinea pig. So <laughs> <laughs> then we got Matt Goldman, who uh, who's been investigating for a long time now, and he gets out there and has a really good intuition when it comes to getting into a location and and how and how to go about it and and seeing exactly where we should go and set things up. So each one of us brings something to the table. And uh, again, we've been all doing this with each other since 06, and it's uh, it's been really great. Oh, outstanding. Now, um, you made a comment about you generally only do historical type of sites. Uh, my group, the Florida Bureau of Paranormal Investigation, uh, that's pretty much our direction also, although we've, we have done houses on occasion. But what's your reasoning for sticking with historical buildings, government buildings, that type of thing. You know, the reason we've gone that avenue is because we are all about the data collection. Um, we're in this solely to investigate and try and, you know, come up with answers as far as is there uh, existence of a life after death? Are there, you know, what people refer to as ghosts and hauntings? Uh, it's not that we don't want to help people. That's not it per se, but um, it just, you can get really muddy and complicated when you're out there doing homeowner cases. Um you're just going to open yourself up into a whole nother avenue of, of how you need to conduct the organization and as far as bringing in other members and, you know, trying to fill those different types of uh, different types of calls of people wanting you to come and investigate their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, we want to just stick to the data collection, observing and reporting and trying to uh, create this classification system. Well, and, and I agree with you, but, what do you see as some of the other issues, especially with other groups that concentrate on just doing homes? Do you, you see know, any I, issues with that? Yeah, no, I don't see issues with it at all because I think there needs to be uh, organizations that deal with that. Um, you know, a lot of times I think, as you know, Larry, 99% of the time you're going to be dealing with something completely natural, you know, when you, mm-hmm. when you deal with those cases. A lot of times it's going to be families that are having problems, maybe people – uh, mixing medications or, you know, it can be, you know, a, a tremendous amount of different natural, uh, explanations as to what's happening. But I think that there does, there is a need for that and that there are organizations out there to handle those types of cases. But I think that, you know, when it comes to that, there, that would be a lot more less scientific and a lot more, uh, related to people that, you know, deal with, uh, other people in that regard emotionally based if you will Um, and one of the things I worry about there and this is one thing that I think hurts our field also folks sometimes going in with the best of intentions go into a home uh, find out what's going on here but then they get the can you clear the house can you make it go away and I there, there truly are not many people that can do that successfully so then you get into a situation of folks saying okay I've taken care of it but then three weeks later the client calls back saying but they're still here so this person either didn't know what they were doing or they were doing something way beyond their skill sets possibly possibly on purpose and causing more harm so that's an issue I have with homes and it's got to be something that's done very very delicately in my opinion Right. I agree with you 100 percent. You know, it's a very fine line there when dealing with homeowner cases like we were just talking about. Um, it could be actually really dangerous, uh, not only from the aspect of if there is something supernatural, but it could also be very dangerous as far as, you know, dealing with people and maybe not all the time having a result. Yeah. Now, in my neck of the woods down here, we've maybe have four or five teams in our 
general four county area but in your neck of the woods as we talked about earlier tons of them uh, how many of them out there really understand what it is they're doing and how often do you come across somebody that quite frankly is a charlatan that gives us all a bad name unfortunately it's probably more often than not um especially as of late uh probably in the past five years or so you know those numbers have grown tremendously uh but, you know, a lot of times people really don't know what they're doing. Luckily, you know, with APRA and, and uh, the network of people that we've dealt with over the years, there's some really, really great people out there doing really great work. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there that look at this from a uh, entertainment aspect and they see it on a 42-minute television show. They think they can go out and replicate it and they can get themselves in some trouble uh, but again, more, unfortunately, I'd have to say more often than not, you have some really inexperienced people out there uh, dealing with cases that they're just in over their heads. Yeah, exactly. Best case. What's the, Tell me about the best case that you guys have had where you've gotten uh, your most significant piece of evidence. You know, uh, you know, most significant piece of evidence we ever collected was a, a, you know, a piece of video data collected at the RMS Queen Mary in the winter of 2008. Uh, but the best case that we've ever worked was a, a location called the McConaughey Estate uh, in Hayward, California, actually in the San Lorenzo, California, excuse me. Um, we investigated that location over a span of seven years, which is ideal. As you know, Larry, you want to investigate a location over a number of years. Absolutely. Really get an idea of what you're really doc documenting and what you're really doing. Um, but we investigated that location over a span of about seven years. And uh, we have had some tremendous results uh, over that span of seven years. And not only that, as we mentioned, as I mentioned before, you know, one of the major things about APRA is that we're all about historical preservation and keeping buildings alive for future generations and keeping history alive. And we've done a lot of really great work with the Hayward Area Historical Society and keeping the McConaughey Estate, you know, up and running. We did a lot of fundraisers there over a span of years, and we're really proud of that. But uh, again, the McConaughey Estate, we've had a lot of really great data and We've had, uh, you know, a tremendous investigation over those over those years. But what's the best piece you've got? What's the most convincing piece of evidence you've gotten? That's got to be that that piece of video data from the RMS Queen Mary in Long Beach. Uh, okay. you, anyone that's listening, you can go to the website appreparable.com and see that in the data collection uh, aspect of the page. Um, but in the winter of 2008, myself uh, and another investigator went down into the first-class pool changing stalls with a security guard. And this investigator I was with was a new member at the time, and I was actually training her on how to do an EMF sweep. And I gave her a night vision DV camera that she had no idea was even on at the moment. You know, the main focus was showing her how to conduct an EMF sweep. Um, we went down there. Uh, the RMS Queen Mary's first class pool changing stalls is a very small, tiny area. Uh, and we were down there for about, you know, 30, 45 minutes and taught her how to do an EMF sweep. Nothing anomalous happened. Came back, reviewed that footage, and we captured a unbelievable image that uh, I'll, I'll let anyone listening now go look at it and have their own uh, decision as to what they see. And, and how long ago was that? Again, that was uh, in 2008, so it's uh, been 10 years. So, Yeah, now the Queen Mary, that's right in your neck of the woods, if I remember correctly, yeah, right? not too terribly far, yeah. In Long Beach, California, the the old ocean liner from the uh, the and right. White line, uh, amazing history, a lot of unfactual legends, a lot of, a lot of, you know, 
a lot of lore associated with that place. Uh, but there is some tremendous amount of activity going on in that location. Uh, it's just a really unbelievable place. Yeah, we're, I've spoken with a gentleman named Chris George. I don't know if you're familiar with him. That's done some work on the Queen Mary too. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's quite a place and, and been investigated many many times. Probably the most uh, uh, interesting one I've seen was on TV. It was an old ghost uh, not ghost adventures ghost uh, hunters episode with the bed uh, spread being pulled away. I don't know if you remember that one at all. I do. Yeah, I and do. Yeah, when it was doctored and they had someone come in and turn the camera off and move it and someone knew someone knew how to use the camera properly and get that camera trick but uh yeah that's unfortunately there's there's some stories associated with the rms queen mary of of things like that happening when it's just completely uh unnecessary because of the amount of activity that actually is on the ship so it's pretty disappointing to hear those things but again it's like you mentioned it's probably one of the most investigated places in the world Oh, absolutely. And, and the uh, the investigations that have gone on there, I've seen some tremendous ones. But that's an, an example where, and I don't think, I'm not blaming the TV show, but that's one of those things that really kind of hurt our whole image. And we're getting ready to take our, our last break here in just a few minutes, but or a few seconds. But when we get back, I want to talk to you a little bit about the entertainment industry and how that has um, affected what we do in the, in the future. So... Uh, be prepared to chat about that when we come back after our next break. Uh, folks, this is Paranormal Stakeout. My guest tonight, Brandon Alvis. We've got a great last sec- session coming up, so please stay tuned. I think you're going to enjoy it. Be back to you in just a few minutes. heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, sci-fi and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Path Home Shamanic Art School has just launched a new online series of classes, Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow. In these classes, composed and taught by Path Home founder and director Gwilda Wiecka, you'll learn practical shamanic skills to support your daily life, such as how to build a medicine wheel to access the power of the earth, perform a shamanic journey, create sacred space in which to live and work, empower your life with totem animals, elementals, and fairy folk, and learn the art of accurately reading signs and omens. These tried and true skills are the key to living a powerful, productive life. Visit us at findyourpathhome.com to see the ever-growing collection of classes and leading-edge information to support you during these times of uncertainty and transition. 
All can be found at findyourpathhome.com. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. And we are back for our final round tonight on Paranormal Stakeout. I'm here with my guest, Brandon Alvis, from the American Paranormal Research Association. And had a great conversation, Brandon. Really enjoyed this. Uh, I do want to mention your website, www.aparanormal.com. So please visit that site. I also want everybody out there and my audience to remember to check out all the great programming at www.xcbn.net where you can get all the great programming right here on the Exxon Broadcast Nation. I also want to make mention of uh, my own website, www.paranormalstakeout.com and www.paranormalfbi.com and you can also find me on Facebook at uh, uh, Florida Bureau of Paranormal Investigation and Indian River Home Hauntings. So, um, with that, Brandon, um, great conversation, my friend. Um, but one area that we really haven't talked about tonight is you're you're not only an accomplished uh, paranormal investigator, but you're also in the entertainment industry. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a creative services producer for a CBS affiliate uh, in the Santa Barbara area, and and worked on uh, numerous TV shows over the years. And it's something that you know I've been doing for professionally for a good amount of my career and and uh is something that kind of gives me an insight into how a lot of these shows that people model model their investigations after really work yeah and and in your opinion has it helped or has it hurt the paranormal field all these shows and then i'll give you my thoughts i think that in a way um it's it's tough because i think that it's helped in the sense of bringing awareness um to the field and bringing awareness as far as uh, bringing in people that may have not had an interest before that actually brings something to the table. Uh, but then again, on the other hand, it, it has kind of hurt. You have this situation now where it's extremely oversaturated and you have a lot of people out there running around and getting themselves into situations that they probably shouldn't get themselves into. Yeah, yeah, and I and I'm pretty much on on par with you on that. I I think it has done a lot to help bring this to the forefront, made it something that people aren't afraid to talk about. Uh, but it's also people. It's like in in the law enforcement field. There are certain TV shows I can't stand because people really think that's how it works, um, and it creates more harm than good. But two things that you were, were involved in, in particular, uh, a production of yours called Cemetery Park, and the other one, and I always mess the, uh, the pronunciation up, Euphirma, 
Ephemera? Ephemera. Ephemera, Ephemera. Yeah. okay. But Cemetery Park. Yeah, really Cemetery Park. It's amazing, amazing. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, uh, in 1964, the city government of Ventura, California, desecrated a seven-acre, uh, three cemeteries, you know, three uh, pioneer cemeteries that are now on a seven-acre park. Uh, what happened was the city council decided that these three cemeteries were too much of an eyesore, so they went in and tore down 600 headstones and took out unbelievable amount of family curbs and cemetery furniture and threw them down into Hall Canyon and virtually illegally uh, desecrated a cemetery that's now a dog park in, in the city of Ventura, California. And this was what, 1960 what? 1964. My goodness. So they turned it into a dog park. And you made a documentary of this. How, how long was the documentary? I did. It's a one-hour documentary that is now completed. It'll be slated for a 2019 release. Uh, we just did a, uh, a screening of that here in, locally in Ventura, California at the Majestic Ventura Theater, the haunted Majestic Ventura Theater at that. Uh, but it was a packed house. We had a lot of people come out, and there's been a lot of legend associated with this place and, and with Cemetery Park, what is formerly St. Mary's Cemetery. Uh, and we, you know, I just wanted to set the record straight and just kind of prove – uh, what the city of Ventura did is being highly illegal and kind of expose all of the, the secrets and controversy associated with it. Well, poltergeist comes to mind here, putting uh, developments on top of cemeteries. But is it still a dog park? It is, yeah. To this day, it's n known as Cemetery Park. Uh, I, I thought the name was so uh, such an oxymoron that I wanted to just go with it. Uh but to this day, you can go to Cemetery Park on East Main Street in Ventura, California, and stand there and look at the seven acres of green grass and try and visualize that there are over 3,000 people buried there. Has anybody – have you guys ever investigated this this area? I have not personally investigated it, no. I was so uh, blown away by the story itself and the, the controversy and the cover-up by the local government here that I just had to go deep into the historical research aspect and tell the story to get it out there. But I do know that there, uh, someone such as Richard Sinnott, I think he's done a lot of investigation of the area and is quite knowledgeable when it comes to the activity associated with it. Well, Richard Sinnott is um, one of the one of the big names, I, I believe, in our field. I've actually had him on the show. And he also... Um, he also feels the same way that you, you and I have discussed and feel about the standardization and, and structuring of investigations so that we can, we can collect evidence on, on a same footing across the, uh, the world, if you will. So Richard Sennett being out there tells me that uh, that place must be haunted. Uh, what sort of things have they gotten out of Cemetery Park? You know, uh, one thing I do know is that there's a lot of apartments that are just across the street and surrounding the the cemetery that i know a lot of people over the years have said that they've had activity you know i'm not exactly sure what that activity is i haven't looked into it very much but i do know that many people over the years have said strange things strange things do happen there what uh, you mentioned the uh, going back a little bit the park itself having so much activity how would you acquaint that activity, or can you, to any other places that you've investigated? Does it appear to be more or less, or, or would you even know? I'm not quite sure because, again, I haven't done much, much research on that end of it. You know, I only did more of the historical side of it and uh, exposing what happened. But uh, 
I wouldn't have a gauge as far as, you know, what, you know, what type of activity or if it's, you know, equally as active as other places I've been. I just get this vision of poltergeist. Sorry. But um, <laughs> has the city of Ventura ever acknowledged their mistake? They have not. No, there's been, uh, again, so the film follows uh, one man that's been fighting against the city for 14 years and trying to get them to restore St. Mary's back to its uh, former state. Uh, but there's been a lot of controversy, a lot of city council meetings, and a lot of uh, you know nasty battles associated with it. But they have not fully acknowledged what happened or even deemed it a mistake. It's, it's a very strange story, and uh, if anyone wants to see anything associated with that, there's a trailer up. We have it at cemeteryparkfilm.com. Okay. Any other, any other work in the paranormal as far as your, your film work? Yeah, I'm actually working on a developing a new show now. I can't go into too much details about it, but uh, it has to do with a really great piece of California history uh, that's hopefully we'll be able to have a really great uh, show associated with it where we have a group of investigators going up through uh, the California coast and trying to document this certain type of phenomena that goes all the way back to the Spaniards coming through uh, in the 1500s. So uh, I'm working on that now. I can't give too many details out at the moment, but hopefully I'll have more information for people soon. And that'll probably be one of the first paranormal uh, productions I've worked on since 2014 when I did the Unexplained Files on Science Channel. Interesting. You know, it's funny because we have uh, in our neck of the woods down here the Spaniards in the 1500s visiting our coast. And the stories that we have connected with that are very interesting too. So I'd be I'd be really interested in what you find out there as compared to what we find here with the 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 same type of history. That that'd be an interesting uh, comparison. And I want to mention our last few minutes together. History. You uh, I noticed in your bio and your work you you really grasp history. You really uh, embrace history. Absolutely. Why is that? Why is uh, that? I, I, I want to hear you extremely important that you know we keep history alive for future generations to not only one repeat the same mistakes that have been uh you know carried out throughout history but just to to let people know that you know we have had such a rich amazing past that you know it's really unfortunate nowadays i mean probably you know probably even before you know we can even remember People just don't have much appreciation for it, and especially when it comes to the paranormal field. That's one thing that's, again, overlooked just as well as the scientific aspect of it. History is a major part of what we're doing. If it wasn't for the history, we wouldn't be really looking into these pieces of phenomena that are happening. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, uh, so correlating that with the science and the history I think is very crucial to this field. Well, that's what I—that's what I was kind of hoping you'd say, because in my opinion, you—if if you're going to be successful in the field of paranormal investigation and research, you must love and embrace history, because without it, why are we doing it? If we're talking to somebody that supposedly had died a hundred years ago, but we know nothing of the history, then what have we really accomplished? Exactly, exactly. You got to know everything about the person that you're trying to communicate with, you know, what kind of phenomena it is. You need to know almost every piece of information you can to go in and have the upper hand in trying to document it. Well, in our last minute or two together here, if you were to give some advice to um, a person out there just be, just entering the field of paranormal research and investigation, a true neophyte, what piece of advice would Brandon Alvis give that person? You know, what advice I would give them would be to do as much book research 
and feel, excuse me, as much research as possible, book research per se, before going out into the field, figure out exactly what type of investigation style you want to have. How do you want to go out and conduct it? What is your ultimate goal? And then once you have that figured out, go to somebody that is a professional from a technical industry, someone that can be of guidance to you to tell you, yes, you're conducting this the right way. No, you're conducting this the wrong way. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have some kind of guideline as, as far as doing something the right way, you're going to be lost. So I would say yeah. make sure you know exactly what you're doing before you get yourself involved and have that. Terrific. And again, we're just about out of time, but I'm going to tell you right now, Brandon Alvis, I'm going to recruit you into my uh, into my league to, to codify and create structure in our business. So I'll be looking forward to hearing back from Larry Lawson of the Florida Bureau of Paranormal Investigation. With that, folks... That ends our time together. Brandon, I want to thank you for being with us. And that ends this episode of Paranormal Stakeout. Have a good night, folks. Thanks for joining us. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is TV. TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. 
Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. 